Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome to the Travelcast Christmas Special, Episode 420. The Travelcast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Happy 2020, folks. Hope you rang in the holidays with style, survived the New Year's parties, the office Christmas parties, the ugly sweater parties. Nobody appreciates those more than me, I tell ya. Well, homeless people, maybe. As we announced on social media and elsewhere, we had to take a little break in December due to some health issues I had and the general busyness of that time of the year. Thus, our story this week, following the long tradition of featuring an original Drabblecast-commissioned holiday tale by beloved Drabblecast author Tim Pratt, well, it might just feel a little bit December-y for your typical January. But whatever, you're going to love it nonetheless, I promise. And that's a statement, not a fact. But first, a hundred-word story. Travel. Travels are stories exactly 100 words. Try writing one yourself and submit it in our forums at forums.travelcast.org. We might pick yours and run it on the show. This week's travel is called Hunger, and it comes to us by way of Weird Beard. Here goes. They pressed against the glass doors, their wild eyes searching for their prey. The madness had spread through the population, infecting more people than the experts had anticipated. I took refuge behind the counter, hoping its meager defense would be enough. Remember your training, urged Paul, which was easy for him to say as he retreated to his position out back. Inevitably, the doors opened and the horde surged through. I panicked, and in that instant, I forgot everything I learned over the past few days. Nothing could have prepared me for this. The holiday sales had begun. Man, the stress of holiday shopping. Long-ass lines, the last whatchamacallit for Timmy being sold out. Who needs the hassle? Christmas presents have been a tradition of disappointment ever since some ass clown thought it would be a good idea to give the son of God fragrant gum resin. Oh my God, is that myrrh? <laughs> How did you know? I mean, if you already have some, you can, you know, take it back. I just, resin? No, I don't, I, I definitely don't have any. 
I mean, what do you get the Christ child that has everything, right? Excuse me, did you say Christ child? I'm sorry, I hate to interrupt, but I would just be so honored if you'd accept this gift of me playing solo snare drum for about 30 minutes. Well, I'm an infant. I was literally just born. Right, right, I mean, I just, I figured I'm in town, I got no gifts to bring. Oh, it's fine, you don't have to, it's two o'clock in the morning. Hey, stop me if you've heard this one, Jesus. Our original Travelcast commission story this year is called Comfort and Joy by Tim Pratt. Tim lives in Oakland, California with his wife Heather Shaw and their son River. His fiction and poetry has appeared in The Best American Short Stories, 2005, The Year's Best Fantasy and Horror, Strange Horizons, Realms of Fantasy, Asimov's, and others. By day, he works as a senior editor at Locust Magazine, where, among other things, he writes the obituaries. His short fictions won the Hugo Award, has been nominated for the Nebula Award, and in 2004, he was a finalist for the John W. Campbell Award. Find him at timpratt.org. So without further ado, we bring you Comfort and Joy by Tim Pratt. Comfort and Joy by Tim Pratt I was in a grubby little bar down in Florida, sitting on a stool beside a plastic palm tree decorated with Christmas lights, when I heard a cough and smelled cold ashes. I folded up my list and tucked it into my pocket. Without looking around, I said, Rupert, long time. A very long time, actually, but I've always been good with names. He sat down beside me, wearing an old barn coat, his face bearded and lined, shoulders broad but slumped. He looked much as he had in the old days, when we used to run around the German countryside together. Uh, what name are you going by these days? He asked. His voice was rough, a farmhand who'd smoked since he was old enough to lift a pitchfork. Changes from year to year. Lately, people call me Bishop, I said. Ruprecht raised a hand and ordered a pilsner, of course. I was drinking eggnog. It was the season, though down in the Keys you wouldn't know it, because nobody knows how to make posset anymore, and because some old habits are harder to shake than others. You, uh, working tonight? He said. Of course. Got your list and all? I patted my breast pocket. Checked and double-checked. How many you, uh, going to visit tonight? Two? Maybe three? It's not like my old job. I don't have to do them all in a single night. Ruprecht stared into his beer, brooding. He never was the jolly type. 
That was the part I played in the old days. I was the big, loud, laughing, flashy one, and Ruprecht followed along, playing the heavy. I was the one who said, be good, and Ruprecht's very presence said, or else. He wasn't the only one I ran with back when the winter nights seemed longer and people looked up at the sky more often. I had different companions in different places in different times, and they all had the same job, being scary, offering threats as necessary counterparts to my bribes. These days I do the heavy stuff myself, and I do it better than any of my old companions ever did. It's not their fault. They'd had me holding them back, keeping them within limits, making them follow rules. I didn't have a me to hold myself back, and I didn't make threats. I just followed through. How'd you find me, Rubricht? He scowled into his beer. We, uh, figured you'd be somewhere warm, as far from home as you could get. A lot of us went out, checking places, me and Pete, Bart and Bell and Drap. Even Kay came down the mountain to help out. We're all worried about you. I'm fine. Your ex is worried about you. I snorted. <laughs> sure she is. I don't even remember getting married, Ruprecht. One day I woke up and there she was, making cocoa and baking cookies and bustling around. I took holy orders, or at least I think I did. I shouldn't have ever gotten married. When she turned up, what was it, around 49? That's when I really started to feel like I'd lost control of my own life. Looking back, things started to come apart a lot earlier, but suddenly having a wife from out of nowhere, new memories slotting themselves into my brain, that shook me, man. Like a bowl full of jelly, I thought. I sipped my eggnog and wiped some off my upper lip. I already had a good start on a mustache, though I'd shaved just a couple hours earlier. I couldn't tell where I ended and the stories began, I said. I remember slapping heretics, saving prostitutes, rescuing sailors from drowning, seeing the pyramids, but it's all dim. The ice is a lot clearer, and the pounding of hammers, and the bells, always the bells. Bells on everything that moved, jingling, a diet of mostly cookies and gingerbread. I patted my belly, which wasn't as round as it had been. The things I did now were more physically demanding, and I worked a lot more nights. One day I was drinking some syrupy, carbonated shit with some polar bears, and I thought, you know what, enough is enough. Time to take control of my life, make my own narrative instead of being shaped by someone else's. So that's what I did. I'm making a difference now. Ruprecht sucked air through his teeth. You made a difference before. You brought joy and hope. Oh, you're all doing that fine without me. You stepped up. You filled the gap. It takes 20 of us to do what you did. About half as well as you did it. I put down my empty cup of eggnog. Give it a few more centuries of practice, Ruprecht. You'll get there. It's Christmas Eve next week. Is it? You know I haven't looked at my calendar in a while. You could come back. I nodded. That's true, I could. But I won't. He took a long sip of his beer, smacked his lips, and sighed. 
what you're doing now. It's not right. It's not you. I looked straight at him for the first time. You know, I check my naughty list every single day, Rupert. My name has never shown up once there. I gotta go. You know, work to be done. Nick, he put his hand on my arm. I shook it off. It's Bishop. I started to walk away, then paused. He meant well, and it's the thought that counts. Hey, Rupert, I really appreciate what you're trying to do. Really, but I'm fine. You have yourself a happy new year. The sleigh was out back, a shadow hidden among shadows. I'd painted the gleaming silver runners and rails matte black. Rudy was still in the harness, unmoving, antlers raised, nose dark. Criminals use red flashlights. Did you know that? They're harder to see than white lights, and less likely to give your presence away. Of course, I can see perfectly well in the dark, but it's still interesting. None of the others wanted to leave the North with me, and they all disapproved of my plans, except for Rudy. She'd some experience being pushed around and treated bad and bullied, and I guess she has a little taste for revenge. When the others took flight, she stayed. I fed her a handful of maraschino cherries I'd taken from the bar. The staff doesn't mind. They know all about my sweet tooth. I climbed into the sleigh, settled onto a pile of empty sacks, and pulled out my list. We're going to Miami. Rudy ducked her head and started forward, and the sleigh lifted into the air, skimming over the dark waters. With the bells cut off, the sleigh was eerily silent. The naughty list just had names on it, but if I ran my finger along a line, I could see every bad thing they'd ever done. Once upon a time, the names on that list mostly committed small offenses, stealing from mom's purse, teasing a sibling too hard and drawing blood, throwing rocks at a stray cat, running off with another kid's bike. Sometimes there was something worse, sure, but I told myself the really troubled ones were outside my purview. My job was to nudge, to encourage, and, let's be honest, to bribe the ones who could be persuaded into good behavior. When I changed jobs, the list changed with me. I didn't visit children anymore. Most naughty kids grow up to be good people, or at least not particularly terrible ones. Some of them, though, some of them only get worse. With most of them, I understand why. They grew up with challenges they couldn't overcome, shaped by tragedies or neglect or cruelty, and when they got big, they visited those same indignities on others. Plenty of those could be helped, given therapy, rehabilitated, set on a better path. I don't visit those. I visit the ones who revel in their cruelty, who do unspeakable things to those in their power and feel a thrill in those acts like a grotesque mirror of what I used to feel when I slipped small gifts into people's shoes to give them a little joy on a cold morning. Except these people take joy in suffering. I take no pleasure in theirs, but I do find satisfaction in making sure they won't hurt anyone else. Rudy touched down on the roof of a luxury apartment building. 
I was surprised. The man I was visiting, Roger Malloy, preyed on children, and I'd expected him to live in a house where he could enjoy some privacy. I ran my fingertip over his name, lightly, because I didn't want to look too close, and saw he had a cabin in the swamp where he pursued his avocation. Good to know. I walked across the roof and considered the air conditioning unit on top. My skill set gradually accrued over long centuries is amazingly well suited to my new line of work. Infiltration is infiltration, whether your goal is leaving gifts or slitting throats. I touched my fingertip to the side of my nose. The world blurred, and I was inside the building, beneath a vent in Malloy's dim, twinkling apartment. He had a big Christmas tree, one of those fake silver and white ones, hung all over with tasteful glass ornaments. My most cantankerous old companion, Kay, looked like a monster, goat hooves, horns, long black tongue, the whole bit, but I learned that among mortals, the monsters seldom showed their true nature so clearly. Malloy was like a rotting tree, hung all over with tinsel and garlands. He looked good from the outside, but underneath he was all worms and mold and ruin. I slipped, light-footed, through his living room, listening at all the doors I passed. Malloy was in his bedroom, watching television, chuckling occasionally. Not a creature was stirring, I whispered, crouching by his door. Not a creature. I listened, and soon he was snoring, deep and regular. Kids are often too excited to sleep on Christmas Eve, and usually I could soothe them into slumber, though some were resistant and managed to catch a glimpse of me. I eased open the door and looked inside. Malloy was sprawled on his back in flannel pajama pants and an open terry cloth robe, an out-of-shape, middle-aged man with a little gray at his temples. Not a physically imposing specimen, but then he liked to pick on people a lot smaller than him. I walked in, making no particular effort to be quiet. He was down deep, seeing visions of sugar plums, which would probably confuse him when he woke up, because no one knew what the fuck a sugar plum looked like nowadays. I shook out my bag, pulling open the drawstring, and slipped the mouth of it over his bare feet. With a deft jerk, I pulled the sack upward, and he vanished inside the bag. I slung the sack over my shoulder. It weighed almost nothing at all. That bag could hold enough presents for millions of children without weighing down my sleigh. One evil piece of shit didn't even rate. Rudy flew me to the swamp and wandered off to beat up alligators while I went into the cabin. The shack was as rotting and nasty as Malloy's penthouse was polished and classy. This place was the reflection of his true self. I shook out the bag and he fell in a heap onto the dirty wooden floor, then pushed himself up, bewildered. He blinked at me. What the hell? Roger Malloy, you're on my naughty list. I drew my weapons, a pair of wood-carving knives from the workshop. They never lose their edges, and I'd laid other enchantments on them, too. I'd even named them, because whimsy is also a hard habit to break. 
The long one was called Comfort, and the short one was called Joy. I bring you tidings of comfort and joy, I said, even though it's a joke no one but me ever has a chance to understand. At least, I started to say it, but then Malloy whipped around and dove past me, quick as a flash. He was more tricksy than he looked, and he knew where everything was in his cabin, including a pistol hidden underneath one of the chairs. I assume I'm immortal, but let me tell you, being immortal just means that you've lived a really long time and haven't died yet. He pointed the gun at me and fired. I watched the bullet with interest as it shimmered and drifted through the air. One of my best tricks is time dilation. How else do you think I went to so many houses in one night? Bullets travel around 1,700 miles per hour, so I only had to slow down time a few thousand-fold to remove the threat. I walked around behind Malloy and crouched, comfort and joy at the ready. I let time return, wincing at the boom of the gunshot and the crash of the window as it shattered. I used to linger over these things more, but I just said, to all a good night, and finished the work. The touch of comfort makes you feel at peace, and the blade of joy reminds you of your happiest moment, so he didn't die hard. Sometimes I wish I had more of a cruel, sadistic streak, that I could take pleasure in hurting those who hurt others, because it would make the job easier. But then, if that were the case, my name might show up on the naughty list, and I don't know what I'll do if that happens. I hope I never find out. I went out to the sleigh. Rudy wasn't back yet. Ruprecht was sitting on a pile of sacks, smoking a pipe. His hands were dirty, and he smelled more like mud than ashes. What are you doing here? I asked. Followed you. I didn't ask how. The companions have their talents, too. I took my shovel and did some digging out back, he said. I found some things. Yeah, I bet, I said. Ruprecht's pipe glowed, but his face was in shadow. We knew what you were doing, more or less, but coming down here, seeing it in person, knowing what you stopped tonight, it's different. It's restored my faith. This new story suits you, and it's one you made up yourself. Do you think you could find a use for an old farm man like me in your new line of work? I was tempted, but I shook my head. This isn't hitting mischievous children with a bag of ashes, Ruprecht, or giving them rocks and sticks when they expect candy. It's... I sighed. I don't want you to become what I've become. Ruprecht was silent for a long time. You're still looking out for everyone else, aren't you, Nick? I didn't correct him this time. Sailors, merchants, pawnbrokers, ladies of the evening, archers, children, brewers, former thieves. Me. I said nothing. It was true. That thing about old habits again. Ah, uh, I'll go back north. Ruprecht said. Get your ex off your back. Tell the others you're doing important work. We'll keep handling the other half of the job. 
I'll practice my jolly laugh. He nodded, solemn like always, and walked off into the dark. I sat there for a while, and then Rudy came back with most of an alligator stuck on her antlers. Once we got that cleaned off, we took to the skies and flew south. There was still dark left, after all, and my naughty list is long. It's getting shorter every day, though. that was our story. Hope you enjoyed it. Let's close things out this week with our 100 character Twitfic winner by Loyal Eagle. 100 character stories are called Twabbles, or at least that's what we call them because we post them early on our Twitter feed at Travelcast. Follow us there for good times and try writing one yourself. Post it in our discussion forums at forums.travelcast.org. You might be next week's winner. All I want for Christmas is my two front teeth. No ears, no eyes or a lower jaw, and none of the other teeth for Christmas. Great job. Well, folks, that's our show this week. Remember, the Drabblecast is brought to you with a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. Special thanks to our episode artist this week, Travelcast art director Bo Kyer. Find him at bokyer.com. Our program was brought to you by Sandra O'Dell, Samantha Henderson, Bo Kyer, Tom Baker, Melissa Harvey, a stick of used chapstick that turns out to actually be a uniquely camouflaged praying mantis, Zimmerman Bledsoe, Adam Pratt, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you of your training, Paul. Don't forget your training. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.